Hi, I'm Sage and welcome to my podcast. Here I will chat with you about my adventures in romance and non-monogamy and all of existence really, starting from my strict fundamentalist Christian childhood all the way through to where I am today, practicing relationship anarchy and still trying to figure life out bit by bit. Here you can expect frank discussions about religion, about trauma, about monogamy and of course about sex. I hope you'll have fun, I hope you'll find it interesting and most of all I hope you'll join the conversation. Hello friends, so this is take number 539. <laughs> roughly. <sighs> I told myself I was going to release an episode a week. And so last week I released my first two episodes and I had a full week to record this one. I recorded about I think almost 40 minutes of it and then that night lay in bed and realized for some other reason I don't like this episode. I don't feel good about it. I didn't feel comfortable when I was talking and so I deleted the whole thing and then sat on it for another four days and now my third episode is already going to miss my self-imposed deadline and be later than a week. First of all, let me start off by saying this has been amazing. I released my podcast last week and I've had so many beautiful responses. I would just really like to say thank you for that. Thank you to my friends and family who have been so lovely. My siblings in particular all got really excited about my podcast and immediately Instagrammed about it and passed it on to their friends. And it was just so lovely. My mom listened to it and liked it and fell asleep to my voice, which is great. <laughs> And I also got messages from strangers and it just felt really good and heartwarming and beautiful. And um, I've had some really cheering and also some really moving responses. And in fact, a few of you have already sent me content that you would like me to broadcast here. Because what I would like to do with this podcast is to sort of slowly make my way through all kinds of relationship and life topics really going from purity culture to aspects of monogamy and non-monogamy and all the different aspects of dating that I've encountered along the way but also things like religion and families and trauma etc and then as I meander my way through my own stories to have people send me their stories as well so I truly mean it that I would love for this to be a space where we share our different stories where you send questions if you want, but also where you send your stories. And so I would just truly like to give my gratitude to those of you who have already done it. I won't be playing the voice notes that I've received in this episode yet, simply because it doesn't fit in thematically quite yet, and because I'm so it's such early days for this podcast that I don't want to stuff too many wonderful pieces of stories, especially of other people's stories, into one episode. I really want to do them justice, but that's coming up soon as well. So yes, the response has been beautiful and so heartening. And then to my surprise, I ran into some resistance within myself. 
I sat down, like I said, a few days ago and started recording this episode and then I just didn't want to. Like, I just kept stopping and walking outside and doing some stretches and coming back and trying to record it again. And I, I, I'm still not entirely sure what it is. One might call it a fear of failure. You might also call it a fear of success or a fear of commitment. It's interesting. I recently read and saw a talk about the difference between hearing an internal no and feeling resistance. And the internal no, of course, is your body, is your gut saying, no, I don't want this. Whereas resistance, as I understand it, is when most likely a lot of growth is on your path. And most likely that's going to be painful for your ego in some way. You're going to be dying off parts of yourself or you're going to be in discomfort. And you also know that there is great reward on this path. And I often feel that with something that I'm doing that excites me. I, I start doing it and I can feel there's power here. There's, there's growth to be had. And then I'm almost immediately hit by resistance. It's almost like I don't want to do it anymore. And that's definitely been my experience with this, this podcast already. We're only into episode three and I've already encountered resistance. And I can feel it's, it's because there's growth here. It's because there's joy here. And we, or at least I, am instinctively afraid of growth and discomfort and expansion, even if that expansion is good, because it also means change. And we don't want change. Bodies don't want change. They want to stay in the familiar, even if the familiar is less good. Anyway, here I am. I have pushed past the resistance and I'm about to offer you a very all over the place episode. I finished off the last episode by giving you a run through the first 10 years of my life and um, I spoke about my parents, about my childhood in France and about some of the beliefs that I internalized. Things such as I'm not safe, as in my body is awkward and embarrassing, women are awkward and embarrassing and should tamp down on their emotions and other things like that. And my intention was to make episode 3 be about religion. And I am still very excited about talking about that. But in the meantime, a few things came up for me that I just wanted to sit down and talk about. Things in my current life, honestly. And so we'll pick up, we'll pick up the story, the religion story, next week. I'm also planning on playing a few voice notes from listeners next week. If you have stuff you want to send, please do so. And as soon as it feels remotely, thematically coherent to play that, I will play that. I will honor your story. You also don't have to do it in a voice note. You can send me a message on Instagram, on Facebook, on my email, which I will link in the show notes. You can go to my website and send me a message there. In whichever form you'd like, as anonymous or as non-anonymous as you'd like to be, I hope you'll participate. By the way, I'm not sure if this is just on my app, but where I listen to podcasts on Spotify, I don't see an E next to my podcast. I'm not sure why. And I, to be honest, I'm not sure what the E stand, stands for. Is it for expletives? Is it for explicit? Is it for explosive? <laughs> Probably not. But in any case, this episode, like all the other episodes, will contain expletives and most likely some explicitness as well. So 
if that's not your game, if that's not your vibe, I would totally get that. I'm trying to rectify that and get an explicit sign next to my podcast. But in the meantime, here is your verbal warning. Okay, intro done and dusted. So, what's come up for me this week, above and beyond just the intensity of releasing my podcast and the vulnerability hangover and then the concomitant resistance, a few things that have been happening for me have to do with, amongst other things, health. Specifically, my mental health and my reproductive health. So let's start there. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I think, I'm not sure, but I think quite a few women could relate and quite a few people could relate. And this has to do with bodily autonomy and with making good choices about one's own health. And I think those things have been very much in the forefront of many of our minds in the past year or two and this experience that I had recently was really eye-opening to me let's let's start with that so to go back to my teens when I started having my period it very quickly became really painful Um, throughout my teenage years and my early 20s my periods were routinely painful enough for me to faint or vomit or at least spend two days in bed with a hot water bottle, pain pills and pillows wrapped around me, feeling extremely sorry for myself. I've had all sorts of embarrassing moments where I've literally fainted on campus when I was still a student. And I didn't really know that there was an option to do something about this. This was really before Google became the thing that it is now. I mean, now you would just Google why do my periods hurt so much? But back then, this was the early 2000s, you know, 2000, early 2000s into like maybe 2010, just a bit later than that. I just knew that my periods were painful and that this is the lot of womanhood and that to some people they suck more than other people. And I just sort of suffered my way through it. And then in my early 20s, I think I was 23, 22 maybe even, Almost 10 years ago, I went on the contraceptive pill for the first time. And I went on it mainly just so I could have worry-free sex for the first time in my life, which was amazing because before that I'd used the typical teenage combination or young 20-something combination of condoms and rhythm method and withdrawal and (laughs) pregnancy scares, which fortunately I never had an unplanned pregnancy. But, you know, so I used the whole mixture And going on the pill was amazing. Just suddenly having such peace of mind. And one of the unexpected advantages of going on the pill was that suddenly my periods became so much less painful. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this is how it can be. Oh, you can just live your life and not be crippled by pain three days a month. It was incredible to me. It was so freeing. Fast forward a few years and the contraceptive pill starts getting a bad rap, especially in the circles that I move in, I think. So this might differ from person to person, but a lot of my friends tend to be on the on the alternative side of things, to be into holistic medicines, into many of the spiritual modalities, into 
alternative ways of being really and I resonate with a lot of that not all of it and I most likely will have a few rants about that on this podcast still because I'm still trying to find my space that feels really comfortable for me somewhere in between on the one hand very alternative woohoo-ness which has deep value for me and on the other hand far left political awareness which also resonates for me but neither of those sides resonate fully because I don't want to fall in the woke culture and I also don't want to be a complete hippie so I'm still trying to find my feet in this world where I want to do both a chakra cleanse and a march or a rally or talk about anarchism and politics in any case I'm going off on a tangent again so in the circles that I move in the contraceptive pill started getting a really bad rap and lots of people, mainly women but some men too, um, would react quite strongly when they would hear that I'm on the pill, including family members who would send me messages saying, listen, here's a paper I read, here's a, an article I read, here's a news piece I read, here's something I saw on the news. Apparently the contraceptive messes up your digestive system, apparently it messes up your intuition and then you choose the wrong mate because you can't smell him his pheromones anymore because you're not ovulating anymore and it can put you at risk of so many different diseases and hormonal imbalances once you go off of it so I suddenly started being bombarded by by truly well-meaning people telling me I should get off the pill and all of those things were slightly worrying to me but not too much so, because I spoke to my GP, I spoke to my doctor, I visited a gynecologist, and I felt that I was making the right choice for my body, that worry-free sex was honestly worth more to me than being able to smell someone's pheromones or possibly upsetting my gut flora. I eat healthy, I exercise, I do all of those things, I often quit smoking. So usually I live healthily and so for a long time I ignored it but then these messages started getting more and more insistent and they started coinciding with a move that I've been seeing towards towards women wanting to reclaim their bodies as powerful entities and I saw a lot of, of women that I'm friends with and of Instagram influencers really moving into this enthusiasm for reclaiming one's body, owning the power of the female body. And some of it is really beautiful and valuable. For instance, the fact that all of a sudden periods are being talked about, periods are even being celebrated as an expression of the body, as a beautiful thing that a female body can do. And the female body is being honored for all the things it holds, that it contains. And I think there is definitely a place to be talking about one's womb, about one's reproductive organs, about a woman's specific sexual organs and how they work. And on just refocusing from, because from hundreds of years, even health conversations, even different sectors have been very male dominated. And I think it's wonderful that an increasing focus is being placed on the value and the validity of the female body as well. However, I do have some issues with it. One of it is that 
this easily becomes quite transphobic because the emphasis that is placed on the female body places specific emphasis on the cisgendered female body, the cisgendered binary female body, um, which I think excludes many different kinds of experiences, valuable experiences, valuable voices that we also need to include. And I personally don't resonate so much with this very binary approach to if you're a woman, you should have this deep relationship with your womb and with your vulva and your body is the sacred thing your body is absolutely a sacred thing but it's not a sacred thing because it contains a womb it is sacred because it is a body that in itself makes it sacred not your specific sex organs and so while not wanting to discount women cis women's experiences with their bodies i think that that is not all of the story and that we need to make more spaces to include other voices too, other kinds of bodies as well. So that's the one thing that's been bothering me about some of these um, Mother Earth kind of sacred femininity movements that I've been seeing come up. The other thing that, is, that has been very close to home for me is that a lot of these movements have been very anti-hormonal contraception, very much so. Um, so I keep seeing Instagram stories and posts about watch out the mainstream media and the doctors are lying to you and actually hormones are doing these 10 horrible things to you and the contraceptive pill is fucking up your internal organs and this and this and this is happening and the main message that I kept receiving through this is if you're on the contraceptive pill instead of just being in your natural cycles you're not doing womanhood right because what happens when you're on the contraceptive pill right is you replace your natural cycle which is for most people 28 days with a chemical one you ingest estrogen every day for three weeks and then for one week of the month you ingest a placebo which gives you withdrawal bleeding so it's not an actual period in the sense that it's not your uterine lining that's shedding as it would have been if you'd been on your cycle and instead, it just resembles a period, but it's actually just withdrawal bleeding. And in fact, one of the advantages of being on the pill for me has been the fact that you can skip that period every now and again. Going to a festival, skip the period. <laughs> Having an impromptu fling, skip the period. It's fantastic, if you ask me. But apparently, or well, this is the message that I got... I'm doing womanhood wrong if I'm not in my cycles because being a woman entails being cyclical, having your autumn and your winter and your spring and your summer and being deeply in tune with your own rhythms, with your own cycles and with your own hormonal fluctuations. As an example, two nights ago I was going on Instagram and somebody posted, had posted this, somebody I follow had posted a photo that says when we take hormonal contraception we're not having a true menstrual bleed and that made me so upset because what the fuck is a true menstrual bleed and why do you use the word true because it feels so value laden the, the implication with a simple post like when we take hormonal contraceptives we're not having a true hormonal bleed the implications in that little sentence is that we should have a so-called true menstrual bleed. 
And sure, I don't think we should be ashamed of menstruation, but I also don't think it's more inherently valuable than any other way of being. And in fact, I think that that discounts many people's experiences like mine who hated having their periods, who found it so painful and so horrible and honestly feel sometimes ashamed for opting out of it as if it might make me less of a woman that I chose something else. I'm so surrounded by women who tell me, no, but listen, if your period hurts, I know you can just take this berry and this herbal infusion and you can just heal your gut flora and then your period won't hurt anymore. We can just readjust your hormones by living cyclically, by looking at the moon and by using cotton pads and eating goji berries. And I don't think any of those things are bad. But the fact that they don't work for me, that my periods have still been really, really painful throughout my life and that they only got better because of contraceptives has made me feel like I'm doing something wrong. And in fact, more specifically, like I'm doing womanhood wrong. Like I should be able to not be on the contraceptives, that I should be more in tune with my own intuitive, magical female body and that by using contraceptives, I'm dulling myself. That was the fear for me. More than any health fears, I was afraid that by taking contraceptives, I was dulling my own intuitive voice. And so I had my appointment with a gynecologist this week, an appointment that was many months in the making, and I asked her if I could go off of the pill. And she asked me why. And I said to her, well... I guess it's not good for me to be on the pill. Like people have sent me clippings of news articles and things that say what doctors aren't telling you about the contraceptives, etc, etc. And I'm not an idiot. Like I know how research works and I know not to pay too much attention to sensationist headlines. But nonetheless, I was getting a bit worried. And what I didn't tell the gynecologist because I felt too silly. But what I really wanted to say was, doctor, I want to go off the pill because I feel like I'm not a good woman if I'm on the pill. I'm doing womanhood wrong. So we sat down and she took my information and we looked at all the risk factors and then we did an internal pelvic exam. And lo and behold, she found a thickening in my uterine wall. So in the muscle of the uterus itself, there was one part of my uterus that is enlarged and the wall lining is thicker than it should be. And that is called adenomyosis, which you better believe I went home and Googled afterwards. As the doctor explained this to me, this is sort of related to endometriosis, which is better known. Endometriosis, as far as I understand it, is when uterine tissue grows outside of your uterus, eventually branching into the rest of your pelvis and causing scarring and causing several complications and lots of pain. Now, I don't have that, but I do, it seems, have adenomyosis, which is basically when endometrial tissue, so that's a tissue inside your uterus, sort of grows into the muscle wall. And it can, in some cases, cause complications, and it does very often correspond with endometriosis. The two often go together. But its most common symptom is very painful periods. And it is treated by use of hormonal contraceptives. Or, more drastically, by having a full hysterectomy, which I don't want to have, obviously. 
And so, after all this talk with the doctor, we decided it's not going to make sense for me to go off the pill because I have an actual condition that is completely manageable by staying on the contraceptive pill. And I climbed into my car and I wanted to cry with relief afterwards because I was like, I have an actual medical reason to stay on the pill. I don't have to feel like I'm doing womanhood wrong anymore. So the next time a well-intended but intrusive person tells me that my reproductive choices are not natural or in tune enough, I can tell them to kindly back the fuck off because I have a medical reason for this choice. Not that I should need one. Whew, I have emotions about this. I have emotions about this. So, that's my story. And I think just what I wanted to share about that is simply the fact that our bodies belong to us and that there is no one right way of doing life and of treating our bodies. And people keep saying, do your research, do your research. But the thing is, that's limited. I am not a medical doctor. And regardless of how many newspaper articles I read, how many blog posts I go through, how many YouTube videos I go through, I'm still not going to know as much as a doctor. And that is why we have specialists. Yes, research is important. We should absolutely read up about things. We should read the leaflets on the medicine we drink. We should ask different opinions. We should at least advise ourselves of the things we eat and what's actually in them. But there's a limit to what your own research can do. You're not going to become a specialist in every single area. And that is why we do sometimes at least get somebody else to help us make our choices. And I think it's very important that we remember that reading a few stories online is not the same thing as talking to a person who actually has knowledge about it. Not that I'm saying we should put doctors on a pedestal. Simply that I think it's impossible and untenable to think that we should become experts in everything. What we are experts in, however, is ourselves, our own bodies, our own innate wisdom, our own truths. Knowing when something is a no and when it's just resistance. Knowing when something is a yes or when you're being pushed into it. And that is what I'm busy learning. And that I will stay with that regardless of what other people tell me until it isn't a yes for me anymore. On a similar vein, mental health, and specifically the use of antidepressants. So last week in my second podcast, I told you that I've been going through a time of increased stress. I think I'm, I'm anxious because I plan on resigning my job soon and I don't have my future plans perfectly in line yet. And that triggers a lot of old fears for me, financial fears specifically, which are large for me. I'm also just in my, in my personal life being beautifully triggered at times and also meeting my own wounded child on a regular basis. And the combination of all of these triggers and anxieties has just caused me to feel really anxious. And after being sick in my stomach, having indigestion and migraines for a while, I decided to go back on antidepressants for the first time in almost five years, more than five years. And I went on SSRIs which stands for selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, a very common type of antidepressants that work with the neurotransmitter serotonin. And I told you about that last week. So I went on the SSRIs, I've been on them for more than three weeks now, and there have been some results, chief of which is that I've been sleeping more. 
There have also been disadvantages. Feeling really lethargic, feeling sluggish and slow. And definitely also a change in my sex drive, which I find really hard to live with. (laughs) I want my libido back immediately. So I've been a bit on the fence about it. But I've received some messages from people who listen to my podcast and also from other people in my life telling me that I should be really, really careful. That I should watch out because they know a person who knows a person who had a terrible experience with antidepressants. Or they don't think that I should medicate myself away. And someone said to me that antidepressants make you dull and make you flatline in your emotions and you can't feel high highs and low lows anymore. Which, that is not antidepressants. Those are mood stabilizers. So a few people gave me horror stories, anecdotal evidence of terrible things that happened to them. And I appreciate people's concern. And I also understand that many people have very different experiences on antidepressants. And that for some, it's an absolute lifesaver. And that for others, it just didn't work at all. It just wasn't the right fit. So I appreciate people reaching out. And also I don't. (laughs) I think it's strange that we think we can talk to people about such a personal choice that they're making like that's the kind of thing i think you only talk to someone about if they directly asked your advice if not you tell them you do you i support you if they specifically want your advice then you can say listen i'm skeptical about the use of ssris or i'm skeptical about the use of the contraceptive pill or whatever the case might be i think that sending people unsolicited advice whether that be YouTube videos, newspaper clippings, or personal anecdotes about choices they're making about their body is almost always inappropriate. And so I really felt, no thank you, I don't want to hear this. Because I'm a 31-year-old woman turning 32 very soon who has had strange and beautiful experiences and has navigated her life with as much wisdom as she could muster at the time, who has been on antidepressants before, who has made some good and some bad choices for her body before, and who gets to make these choices for herself, trusting her own intrinsic wisdom, knowing that that's what matters. So that's what I want to say. If you are on antidepressants, That is not a sign of failure. That is not a sign of not being spiritual enough. That is not a sign that you've regressed. It is a sign that you are doing what is right for you. Of course, inform yourself. Of course, read the leaflet. Of course, talk to your doctor if you're experiencing adverse effects. But it is a valid choice. As is any other choice. As is choosing to change your sleeping habits as is going to the ocean once a week to run with your feet in the water as is deciding to go pet an animal at the animal shelter as is deciding to microdose in psychedelics or a myriad other choices antidepressants are not the only choice and i also don't think they should necessarily be the first choice but they are a valid choice and they can be a beautiful and wonderful help in supporting us and living this really complicated life in this complicated world. So I am actually going to talk to my doctor about potentially going off of the SSRIs. We're still in the first month, which is the trial period, and I'm not enjoying their effect. So I am actually considering going off of them or changing something. 
Um, I'm already on the lowest dose, so I can't lower the dosage. I'm thinking maybe she can just prescribe me melatonin or something to sleep because that's the main advantage I've been getting from the SSRIs. And I will ask for advice when I want it, but I find it worrying that we think that we can bombard people with information about this and about other health choices that they make. And we see that a lot currently online. People shouting at each other about their different health choices. And I just feel it can be hard. It can be a really emotional issue because it has to do with our bodies and our bodies are really emotional issues. But let's remember that each person has bodily integrity and worth and that their choices are their own and that their choices are valid as are their experiences. So that's what I wanted to talk about. (laughs) And then to end off, I thought... I would tell you a little bit about what else is happening in my life these days. I said in my two previous episodes that I identify as a relationship anarchist. And I haven't fully expanded on that definition yet. There are also different takes on it. But to explain a little bit about what it means to me, it means losing your vocabulary that you used to use. It means blurring the lines between intimate friendship and a romantic relationship. It means no longer being sure what to call the important people in your life and wondering what on earth people mean by the word a relationship. Because after all, you are in a relationship with many different people. And this started out as an exploration into non-monogamy, specifically into polyamory. And now it's reached a point where I don't think I can call myself polyamorous anymore because polyamorous, to my understanding at least, means having more than one romantic and sexual partner. But I am not always sure what that means. <laughs> what does it mean to have a boyfriend? What What is a boyfriend? And I've been seeing more and more how we make romantic relationships more important than other relationships you're allowed to ask specific things of your romantic partner that you can't ask other people to do for you for instance you're allowed to be angry if they if you don't see them enough you know you're allowed to perhaps complain if they spend more time with their other friends than with you if you're in a romantic relationship and all of that has started to become more and more complicated and sometimes arbitrary to me and Increasingly, I've also started wondering about the word commitment. What does commitment mean? What can I commit to? Because traditionally, when we talk about commitment, we mean being in a serious relationship, settling down, getting married, having children, pooling your finances and your living situation. None of those things appeal to me. Does that mean that I have a fear of commitment? Does it mean that I'm incapable of commitment? And increasingly, I have started thinking that really, for me at least, commitment means committing to showing up, committing to speaking the truth, committing to owning what you really want and what you really need and asking for that and holding space for other people to ask what they want, committing to negotiate, committing to show yourself as much as is safe and to see another person as much as you can see in the sense of looking at them, noticing who they really are. And those are things that I can and do want to commit to 
in many of my friendships to varying degrees of course in all the places that those friendships overlap and I want to treat every friendship as exactly the thing that it is and nothing else without imposing specific expectations on how this friendship should go. Of course that has meant unpacking and detangling so many unconscious assumptions that I have, so many fears that I have. So I, I still get triggered on a, on a very regular basis and that recently happened to me. My, my best friend, I don't really know, I don't know what to call him. That's the thing with relationship anarchy, it's fine as long as you don't need to explain it to other people. The moment my friends ask me questions, I'm like, I don't actually know how to explain this <laughs> because we don't have the words for it in our language. Why do you call a very close friend that you sometimes have sex with and that you have an intimate friendship with but that you're also open for things to change, for the energy to shift. You're not only open to it, you want it to change, to keep reflecting the truth of who you are in every moment. What do you call that? <laughs> anyway, I've decided to give all of my friends and all of my ex-boyfriends, etc. nicknames. Instead of giving them pseudonyms, I've decided to give them nicknames. So this close friend that I'm going to be talking about, his nickname is The Mage. I discussed it with him. I was like, choose a nickname. And he couldn't come up with a nickname, so I decided to call him the mage because he reads a lot of fantasy. So the mage and I are close friends and currently we're also sexually involved, although that may change. That will change, definitely. What I envision for this friendship is a coming together and a moving apart and a coming together and sort of leading separate lives that come together in beautiful moments, almost like... Oh goodness, I don't even know what I envision for it. Life is long. What I envision for it right now is showing up in authenticity. So, so recently, for a variety of different reasons, I have, in the recent past, been quite triggered by the mage having sex with other people, mainly because it activates my fear of him falling crazily in love with someone and deciding to settle down and be monogamous with him, and then our friendship being quote-unquote, downgraded. So that's been a big fear for me, is that he might change his mind, he might not want to be non-monogamous, or he might find someone else and then be, want to have sex only with them, and more importantly, want to be emotionally in intimate only with them. And that does happen, right? Energy does shift. So I also want to allow for that to be a possibility. I don't want to nail him down and be like, our friendship will always be emotionally intimate and close and engaged course not but it is a big fear for me and it triggers a lot of my abandonment issues etc so because I've currently been quite triggered about this I asked him to inform me when he has sex with someone else before we see each other so that I can sit with the trigger so that I can process it instead of being triggered in the moment when we spend time together having time to process that alone and so a week ago he sent me a lovely message saying hey so I had, I went to a party unexpectedly this weekend and I ended up having sex with someone and then he expanded a little bit on that and I read this message and oh, I was filled with such overwhelming joy because just by reading his message I could see that he was in his integrity, that he'd had a beautiful spontaneous moment with someone and I just got so excited 
I was like, this is my friend. I care about him. He's so beautiful. I'm so excited that he's having beautiful connections with people. And that was such a relief. <laughs> In the polyamorous community, they call that emotion compersion. When you feel joy on behalf of someone else. When you feel joy because they're feeling joy. And I've felt it before, but I usually feel it with a mixture of different triggers and jealousy. And so it was just a beautiful experience having that moment of feeling complete joy on behalf of someone else. And then right on the wings of that joy came deep sadness. <laughs> of course, you never have one emotion and get to just enjoy that. And the deep sadness, I sat with it and I was like, this is interesting. The thing that I am sad about is not the fact that he had sex with someone else. It's the fact that he went to a party. And I sat with that and I sat with that. And I realized I have a deep, deep longing to go to parties and meet new people and dance around a bonfire and drink too much wine and just have weird philosophical conversations in someone's kitchen and go home too late and feel hungover, slightly hungover the next day and meet new people and fall in love with five different people in the room and just vibe with everyone and be slightly fuzzily ecstatic. And I just realized how long ago I'd had that. And when he told me he'd gone to a party and had this fling, one of the feelings that I had was, oh, you're living my life. That's a thing that I want to do. And I just thought it was so beautiful because it made me realize what my needs are. And I'd never encountered that so strongly before, that very often when we feel jealousy, or we think this is jealousy, but then if we investigate that emotion, it's not jealousy, it's a thing that's pointing us towards our own needs. And I realized that I need people, I need conversations, I need to mingle, I need aliveness, I need dancing, I need to stand in random kitchens talking nonsense with random strangers and of course in these times we haven't had that <sighs> and that's okay I don't get to have that yet and so I just sat with that feeling and I felt quite teary because I had so much joy in my heart on his behalf and at the same exact time so much sadness on my own behalf my own beautiful heart that just longs to connect and I was just able to hold my own heart and honor it honor this pure desire to mingle with people and to love people and meet people you know and I thought this is this is one of the unexpected advantages of the strange path that I'm on of relationship anarchy of relating in any kind of different way is it triggers you in beautiful ways and then gives you the opportunity to be with the realizations that come up and to honor those realizations and so I just honored that and then the week passed, and in the week that has passed since he told me, I have been up and down, and I've had all sorts of scary stories about him definitely quitting the friendship forever, and then I was like completely zen and expansive again, and then contracted again and expansive again, and currently I'm feeling quite expansive, but who knows how I'm going to feel tomorrow. And what makes it worse is I, I have a big issue with taking up space, with asking for what I need and with stating my fears. One of my tendencies has been to not share my fears because I want to be better than that, because I want to be stronger. I want to appear really tough. So sharing my fears with him 
is really scary for me because I'm scared of looking needy and I'm scared of him running for the hills because I'm too scared or too needy. So that's something that I've been working on and something that I've been sitting with and becoming aware of is, oh, I'm triggered. Oh, I have this scary story. I'm so contracted. And I can tell him about that without expecting him to fix it, but also not worrying whether he's going to run away because of my fears, because that's none of my business. What is my business is sharing that because it feels good and brave and it's helping me take up space. So that's where I'm at in a seesaw of expansions and contractions and learning beautiful lessons along the way and deconstructing the idea of romance. That's been a, that's been a ride and I'm going to tell you much more about it. But for now, I'll leave you with this question. How would you define being in love? And I don't mean that initial feeling, that whoosh, ooh, here go, the, here go the hormones, here goes the oxytocin and the dopamine, and ooh, I'm building this whole elaborate fantasy about this person in my head. I'm not talking about that initial part, which is called limerence, or in polyamorous circles it's called NRE, which stands for New Relationship Energy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what stays after the hormones have quieted down. What's the difference between that and deep friendship plus sex? Because I don't know. <laughs> How would you define being in love? Is there something tangibly different about that than there is about other intimate friendships? I would love to hear your input on this. What is being in love? How would you define it if you sat with it? And that's it. I'm going to end off with that. I hope you have a beautiful week and I hope to hear from you. And thank you so much again to everybody who sent me messages. I'm sending you much love and grace and gratitude.